This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, friends. It's Annie Grace. I am answering your questions. I am the author of This Naked Mind. Today, I actually got the same question from two people yesterday, so I thought, okay, put the other questions on hold and answer this one. Um, Sarah asks, what is your view on alcohol-free drinks, wine and beers as a substitute, okay or avoid? And then Kimberly asks, um, what are your thoughts on drinking so-called non-alcoholic beverages? My sense is that while they may make it easier to join in socially, they may hamper my true desire to totally eliminate drinking alcohol from my life. Um, so this is a really good question. And interestingly, I did not realize that this was such a sort of controversial and loaded question when I stopped drinking. And for myself, I'm not necessarily opposed to drinking a non-alcoholic beer or, or low alcohol wine. I just haven't done it. I haven't done it because I haven't desired to do it. So um, when I was pregnant, I remember, and I was still a drinker when I was pregnant with both my kids, but I remember going out and having non-alcoholic beer and just not enjoying it because it wasn't the non-alcoholic beer that I wanted. It was the alcohol in the real beer. So it didn't ever taste that great. I only ever had, you know, just one and I felt deprived anyway. And so since I quit drinking, the thought of having a non-alcoholic beer or low alcohol wine or whatever, it just hasn't even crossed my mind. Now, that's not to say that I haven't substituted the habit with some stuff. So one of the things that I learned that was really important about replacing a habit, and obviously we know alcohol is much more than a habit because there's psychological addiction, emotional addiction, you know, physical addictions. So it's much more than a habit. However, there are some very clear things that are very habitual about drinking, and those are fairly easy to address. So we should address those and we should change those. But a habit by definition means that your brain thinks less. So you file away whatever your behavior is, driving to work, brushing your teeth, and it frees up your conscious brain to think about other things. And there is a theory that habits are very hard to um, end or eliminate because they've actually started and created pathways in your brain, but habits can be sort of replaced. So uh, Charles Duhigg, he cites some research from MIT, and basically he says that there's this habit loop. And the habit loop starts with the um, the cue, so whatever triggers the habit, whatever says to your body or brain, you get in the car, you turn it on, your brain just gets into driving mode, right? You turn get out your toothpaste, your brain gets into toothbrushing mode. You do it all very naturally. Then there's the routine, there's what you actually do, and then there is the reward, so what you get from it. And um, so the, ha the cue, obviously, like for me, it was getting off work. It was the end of a, a day, and I'd walk out into the kitchen, and my routine was that I'd open this cabinet that we have where we have all these big, huge wine glasses. They were like this big, well, probably like this big, but they were massive. And I'd pour myself a glass of wine out of the box of wine because it was cheaper and because nobody could tell how much I was drinking. So I could drink more than a bottle and not have to worry about it. Whereas if it was a bottle, when the bottle was gone and I'd want more, I felt really weird opening another bottle. So anyway, it was boxed wine for me. And so that was my routine was I pour that wine and then 
the reward was all the things you think you would imagine, you know, you settled into cooking dinner, whatever, you know, what was really interesting when I dug into this habit loop is that the reward for me, and, and that's what you need to do, you need to dig into what exactly your cue is, getting off work, walking into the kitchen, whatever, what exactly, you know, you know your routine, more or less, that's the obvious part, that's your drinking, and then what exactly the reward is. So my reward was this transition, this mental transition from work to off work, and, you know, all the things that came along with that stopping thinking about work, starting thinking about my kids, starting to make dinner, starting to have conversation with my husband, you know, all of these very rewarding, naturally rewarding things. And what I noticed when I really dug into it is that I asked myself, when exactly am I starting to experience the reward? Once I kind of said, okay, you know, because I, I so believe, and you can read more about this in the book, The Exact Neuroscience, but I so believe that there is no reward in actually drinking aside from the fact that when you have been drinking you are suffering withdrawal from the alcohol leaving your system and that alcohol replaces the alcohol that's left and you feel this reward simply be that the alcohol is created so you're filling a hole that the alcohol created in the first place and everything else is almost definitively placebo effect and you know you do have a rush right at the beginning but that's not enough to keep you drinking well past that 20 minutes and it happens within the first few sips but but for me so what i did is i said okay when do i feel this ah this release this mood changing this transition when i felt it was when i opened the cabinet that was ass i just remember everything changed my day went behind me the night you know and all the just relaxing of the night came in front of me when I opened the cabinet. It was not when I drank the wine. And and so for me, wow, like replacing that habit, what was I gonna replace it with? So when I first stopped drinking, I was very cognizant of this. And I said, I need something to replace that with, to, to take the same cue, the same rewards of just having a good time with my family, but I need something to replace that with. And so I started with, I experimented with all sorts of things, tonic and lime, uh, soda water and cranberry and lime. Um, my friend Heidi Mayo, she does what she calls switch flippers, which kind of switch the flip from the day to the evening. And she makes all sorts of elaborate drinks. She puts all sorts of time and, and effort and care into it. And I do the same thing when I was going out on a dinner. So if I felt like, oh, I was gonna be deprived of, you know, feel like I was missing out on wine, I would, you know, order Shirley Temple with my kids, which is really good, by the way, although highly sugary, but delicious. Or I would say, okay, well, I'm definitely getting anything I want on the dessert menu, you know? And there was this huge transition period of where I was replacing this habit and I was very consciously doing it. And so substituting beverages during that time was hugely helpful. And I think it was a really good thing. I never ordered a, a tonic and lime in my life before I stopped drinking. Um, but equally over time, I'd say over eight or nine months, I just suddenly realized, ah, oh, tonic and lime's pretty sweet. I used to really like just drinking iced tea and I started just ordering iced tea or, you know, just even ordering water. I mean, I remember during the Super Bowl this year, we had a party at our house and everybody came and, you know, people are drinking beer or whatever. And my husband is sitting there with his glass of water and, and he just wanted it in his, he's a Bronco fan, go Broncos. And he wanted it in his cup with his ice and his mug, but it didn't matter to him. Like he just wanted to be drinking something. He never even would have crossed his mind to put beer in there because he's like, oh, make me tired, don't want to do it. 
but he just wanted to be drinking that water. And so anyway, I think that the desire for that substitute, once you kind of change the routine, goes away. Um, now, specifically, the alcohol content in some of these drinks. Now, I have drank kombucha forever, hippie family, probiotics, yada, yada, yada. And um, I was told that kombucha has alcohol and that, you know, technically you shouldn't drink it. Now, kombucha for me is not a problem. And this naked mind is not about rules. So I'm definitely not going to take somebody else's kind of opinion on whether or not I should drink kombucha and, and say anything because it works for me. It works for me. Like I like kombucha. I probably have one or two a week, maybe. Um, and and I, I probably have a half at a time because it's really good for your gut. And I like it and it works for me. And it's not something, you know, it's not, I don't feel drunk off it, whatever. So so I think that's fine. Equally, my, my uncle, um, you know, he stopped drinking probably 25 years ago. And instead of drinking, he drinks two non-alcoholic beers when he goes somewhere. And, and that's what he does. And it works for him. And I think that's fine. I think that's beyond fine. I think that we so often try to make rules for other people in this whole game of, of um, trying to get over alcohol addiction. So don't let anybody make rules for you. Make your own rules. Equally, equally. Be very careful if it's not fine for you, because the two main arguments for not drinking something with trace amounts of alcohol are romancing the drink. And I understand that because I, when I decided I didn't want alcohol, I didn't want alcohol. So there was nothing that made me want to pick up something with some alcohol. Kombucha I didn't know, and I, I like the drink. It's beneficial otherwise. But there's nothing that's made me want to pick up an alcoholic beer because I didn't want alcohol. Um, and I decided I didn't like the taste of it after all. You know, I had a few sips after I hadn't been drinking of, of people's drinks. I was like, yeah, no, it doesn't do it for me. I don't like the taste. Um, so, so romancing it, if, if you're in a mindset that you're doing it because you wish it was something else, like me when I was pregnant, and you feel deprived anyway, then I would not worry so much about drinking or not drinking the beer, but I would start to try to really change your mind about why you want it anyway and really look into the reasons of, okay, why do I think this is so important? And, and do the liminal exercises, go through the liminal points in the book or they're all on my blog um, of what, how exactly to uncover these false beliefs. Uh, so, so romancing it, I'd say is, if you want to drink, you will find a reason to drink eventually. The, the key with this naked mind is making yourself not want to drink through these liminal thinking techniques and through this, um, you know, really speaking to your unconscious mind. And, and then the other big reason that people are kind of against non-alcoholic beers, and I think this is a really important one, is because they, there are some studies that say any trace amount of alcohol can lead to relapse. And there's a theory called the, the, um, incentive sensitization theory and it's basically that dopamine is released by alcohol which we know to be true and that when some dopamine is released you more or less to put it in very unscientific terms awaken the monster and the craving for alcohol that you had left behind when you eliminated alcohol completely for your, from your system is again awakened and you want alcohol again like you did before. And that can happen in, neurologically inside your brain if you have been drinking enough for long enough. Not only can a non-alcoholic beer awaken the monster, but even the cues of seeing a wine bottle can awaken the monster. I mean, they will show pictures 
you know, and this is severe physical addiction. They will show pictures of cocaine to cocaine addicts and have that dopamine release and awaken that huge craving and desire. So you'll know if that's happening to you. If a non-alcoholic beer just makes you want 10 non-alcoholic beers or makes you want to go buy a six pack, then be careful with yourself. Like just be careful because it, it usually I'd say 90% of drinkers, and that's just my own statistic based on my own research. It's not from anywhere, but don't actually have a true physical addiction to alcohol. They haven't actually changed the pathways into their brain where one beer is going to awaken that monster. That being said, you know, most people who are in like a meetings program and going and, and putting daily effort into maintaining sobriety, yes, that's happened. And one beer, one sip of kombucha, one non-alcoholic beer is going to awaken that monster through that dopamine. Ah, sorry, dogs. Oh, man. But anyway, so don't mess with that. It, but you'll know if it's for you. If it's working for you, don't let anybody give you rules because the last thing you need in this complicated world is more rules. Um, if it's not working for you, don't let anybody pressure you into doing it. It's it's really your your choice and your decision. So I think for me, adding another rule about it is counterproductive. You know, I'm not opposed to to trying non-alcoholic drinks. I just haven't had any desire to do it. Um, but equally, if there's a chance that it would reawaken your craving for alcohol, I'd definitely stay away. Thank you. And sorry about the dogs. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.